Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Tuesday, August 23rd, and today I'm joined by Eric Gardner, who has the scoop on some startling new details in the drawn-out divorce fight between Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. Eric broke the news on Puck that Jolie is a plaintiff in a lawsuit against the FBI and is asking why the agency didn't arrest Pitt after an alleged altercation on a flight back in 2016. And later on, Tina Wynn is here to talk about why Republicans are attacking a provision in the Inflation Reduction Act that would have the government hire thousands of new IRS workers. Anti-government fear-mongering on the right isn't new, but is this latest round actually dangerous? We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting The Gentleman. The new series from Guy Ritchie stars Emmy nominee Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ains. Eddie Horniman, played by Theo James, unexpectedly inherits his father's estate, only to discover it's part of a cannabis empire. And Britain's criminal underworld wants a piece of the operation, forcing Eddie to play the gangsters at their own game. Now available only on Netflix. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I'm joined today by Eric Gardner, who uh, has done something a few times now while uh, working at Puck, which is break a story at the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood. But then goes pretty viral. But this story about Brad and Angelina really popped uh, last week. What happened in 2016, Eric, between Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie? And why is the FBI involved? Yeah, well... Uh- this was kind of the uh, precipitating uh, event that, you know, culminated in, in their splits. Basically, they were on an airplane together and they uh, got into a big fight. She, you know, alleges that she was assaulted. And because this happened in the air across state lines, this became a federal matter where the FBI investigated it, only to later conclude that they were not going to press charges on it. Their divorce has been going on for years and years and years. And uh, it still is a factor uh, in, you know, who, you know, has custody of the kids and, you know, she wants to know as much as she can. And so, you know, she has been pursuing a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit against the government to, you know, get records. And she's gotten some records, but she wants more. And that's what brings us to present day. So did the FOIA request go through? And is this why we now know some details of what happened on that plane? Yes. Uh, you know, she got responses to her first FOIA request that she didn't need to file a lawsuit to, to get that. Uh, she made it to the Department of Justice and she got a response. The problem for her was a lot of it was redacted. There were certain records that she didn't get. And she also says she needs some of the evidence that was collected for use in her ongoing uh, divorce and custody battle. Uh, so that's what what she's been after, and that's why she filed a lawsuit. She, you know, presumably appealed uh, the initial FOIA response, and having not been truly satisfied with that, she's now in court trying to get a judge to force the Justice Department to hand over more information to her. Here's what Eric wrote in his piece: Was the FBI preparing for the possibility of charging Pitt, Brad Pitt, with a crime? Here's what I, 
Eric Gardner, can say after looking into the FBI's investigation. Jolie told the special agent that Pitt was drinking and had taken her to the back of the plane, according to the agent's notes at the time. He allegedly grabbed her shoulders and shook her and yelled things like, quote, you're fucking up this family. Later during the same flight, another physical altercation allegedly took place, and Jolie said she sustained injuries. She gave the agent a photo of her elbow in an attempt to corroborate this. At another point, Jolie says Pitt poured beer on her. What does Brad Pitt or his people, uh, I assume he has people, what do they say about all this? Because this is pretty shocking, this allegation. Sure. You know, I haven't actually heard a point by point rebuttal of like what actually happened. Of this didn't happen. This didn't happen. What they say is that, you know, basically there was no criminal behavior here. The federal law enforcement concluded the same. And, you know, she's now dredging this up, you know, years later, which doesn't really make much sense to me because she filed her FOIA lawsuit as a Jane Doe. She wanted to keep this under seal. A judge wouldn't let her keep it under seal. And that's the only reason why we know about it. But if for not that reason, it's hard for me to believe that she's trying to use this in some way to, you know, exact revenge on him publicly, at least because this was all supposed to be hush hush. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be known. But is she trying to get the government to actually press charges or is she trying to extract some details that might become useful in their the litigation surrounding their breakup? Or is it what you just said? She just wants to drag him in the public. Initially, I think she wanted the feds to press charges. And that's why she gave an interview. You know, she didn't have to report the, the incident, but she did. And she probably expected there to be charges. And the FBI agent who investigated probably contemplated it as well because he drew up a statement of probable cause. I don't think that's her goal right now. I don't think she has any expectation that, you know, she's going to convince the you know federal law enforcement to bring charges now. It's probably too late to do that. Right now, you know, she's just seeking more information, maybe about why the decision was made not to pursue charges, but, you know, also just to get information for her ongoing custody battle or any, you know, potential counseling that the, the kids have to go through to gather evidence that was collected in the course of the investigation that might aid her in her, you know, ongoing legal battles. That's why I think her, her main goal is at the moment, not, you know, pressing charges against Brad Pitt. That being said, the fact that, you know, there was a contemplated arrest of Brad Pitt is pretty shocking. <laughs> I don't think anyone really knew that this incident had escalated to that level. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, saga both players in that never had like this pristine image not that they you know were viewed totally in public as super flawed people but it's just like brad and angelina have this stature in hollywood and our culture where johnny depp and amber heard would never have rivaled that i mean both of them have done their fair share of activism and philanthropy both are still well liked it just seems pretty shocking that this is coming out actually I mean, do these two like manage their private lives in a way that other stars don't? Because it, it certainly seems like they're much more guarded and protected from these sort of things coming out than other stars. Yeah, actually, I think that both of them have behaved pretty well in the course of the divorce. There isn't a lot of like back and forth in public about, you know, what happened during their marriage. Yes, that happens in court. And, you know, to a certain extent, they've tried to seal it. They've tried to keep their privacy. 
And they haven't really engaged in so much mudslinging that we see in the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard thing. Uh, you know, Johnny Depp and, and Amber Heard, in, you know, in certain ways, like kind of like invited the public into their marriage to kind of litigate like what actually happened. Their marriage was dragged through the mud. And, you know, I remember at the time, like comparing what Johnny Depp was doing to Brad Pitt, you know, because Brad Pitt was kind of coasting along uh, with pretty good reputation. I don't think like anyone was truly focused on, you know, any of his behavior. I'm not saying that what he did was wrong. I don't know what actually happened during the marriage, but I do think it's interesting that at this point in time, everyone's talking about it. I think, you know, the, the better strategy is just to kind of like lay low and let it pass. I guess the last thing I want to ask you is they filed for divorce, I think like six years ago. Is it common for breakups, custody battles, divorces to go on for this long? Absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, like, it's not unprecedented, but yeah, certainly it's very rare to, for a case like this to be going on for six years. And, you know, this is not my first story about, about fights. I mean, like, they both have, like, huge law firms working on their case. This is, like, escalated in kind of like an international affair because there's litigation over their breakup in multiple countries. They had businesses together. Unwinding the assets has been you know, kind of complicated. This is very unusual. I pay attention to this because there's, you know, so much court activity involved with both of them. But uh, yeah, I certainly would not have expected when they split in 2016 to still be covering it in 2022. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've been hearing about this for a long time or just seeing it on the cover of the magazines when I'm checking out of Ralph's. Um, <laughs> anyway, Eric, uh, thank you so much. Great scoop. We'll talk to you next week. My pleasure. When we come back, Ben and Tina are here to talk about the right's reaction to the Biden administration hiring thousands of new IRS workers and whether the rhetoric is getting too heated. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting the new series, The Gentleman. Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what the playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. The Evening Standard raves, the gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, impossible not to love. Now available only on Netflix. Hey guys, it's Peter. When I'm not recording the pod, let's be honest, I'm probably snacking, I get hungry. But when I can steal some moments during the day, I do like to eat healthy. And eating better is easy with Factors, delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. And this is big, no cooking required. I recommend the smoothies. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. These are two-minute meals. Fuel up fast with Factors restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. Are. Pancakes, I love pancakes, more than waffles, more than French toast. A couple of my favorites so far, the red chili chicken tamale bowl and the smoky bacon and cheddar egg bites. I love egg bites. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals, factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. 
So sign up and save. Head to factormeals.com slash powers that be 50 and use code powers that be 50 to get 50% off. That's code powers that be 50 at factormeals.com slash powers that be 50 to get 50% off. Welcome back. I'm Ben Landy here again with the brilliant Tina Wynn to talk about something that's been gripping my attention the last two weeks or so. If you don't watch Fox News or frequent other conservative media outlets, you might not have noticed that right-wing pundits and politicians making guest appearances on those outlets are absolutely obsessed with this small army of IRS agents that are meant to be hired as part of the Inflation Reduction Act that Joe Biden just signed last week. So just to set the scene for a moment, the IRA includes about $80 billion or so of new funding for the IRS over 10 years to help crack down on tax cheats. This sort of basic prosaic stuff. But despite Biden officials promising that this is not going to affect middle-income Americans, it's not going to increase audits for people making less than $400,000 a year, it has triggered this almost Tea Party-like response, this outrage spiral on the far right. So Tina, I wanted to bring you on to talk about what your read is on all of this and what the broader context is explaining it. It's funny because every single time I find someone talking about it on their Twitter feed, there are like these images of the IRS being trained in police-type tactics. In the mindset of a right-wing activist or a far-right person or a person who's scared of the federal government, this is, you know, 1776 levels of taxation without representation. It hits this deep, emotional core that I think most Americans would kind of understand of the government's trying to come and take your money away through unjust taxes. And for a conservative movement that was so predicated on not raising your taxes, this is a crisis point. I'll put it that way. Yeah, exactly. I I think it's important to understand the level of violent rhetoric that's appearing online right now. I only dipped a toe into this world before calling you. And it really is amazing the extent to which people are really getting swept up in this as it's mixed with the post Mar-a-Lago raid FBI frenzy. There are people filming themselves on TikTok, on YouTube, talking about shooting IRS agents on site, about rising up against the government. There's this Waco Ruby Ridge contingent, the sovereign citizen types who are talking about this like it's an impending civil war. Look, if you have a universe where The federal government is increasing the number of IRS agents, teaching them how to use guns. And then all of a sudden, the FBI is swooping into Mar-a-Lago and the DOJ is potentially moving to indict Trump, even if it's for something as legitimate as keeping classified nuclear-related documents when you're not supposed to. Any sort of attack on Trump and Trumpism, combined with any sort of sense that the government is coming after you to take away your stuff, it's going to inflame this uh, sensibility. Way back in like late 2020, most of 2021, I was dabbling in studying militia movements. I do not profess to be like the world expert on American militias, but from my understanding, these are very defensive organizations. They don't necessarily go out and attack law enforcement. But what they believe is that federal government in some form or another is coming away to take away your rights, your liberties, your hard-earned dollars. And in certain times, they would view 
what's happening right now as a pretext to take up a defensive posture of I'm going to keep my money or I'm going to preemptively attack you before you come and swoop over and attack me, which is why you're seeing a large influx of attacks on federal law enforcement. Right after the Mar-a-Lago raid, a Trump supporter went and legitimately attacked an FBI office. Like you were saying, Ben, there's a huge rise of people on social media calling for an overthrow of the government. Under the Trump administration, and I think this is a lingering effect that you're seeing here, militias and extremist groups felt empowered under him to fight back against the federal government and federal law enforcement. And even though Biden is president now, technically in their minds, he is an illegitimate president, right? So whatever war they were starting under the Trump administration now has increased significance with a quote unquote illegitimate president in the White House. Yeah, I mean, what feels really different now is that sentiment is being fanned and fueled and exacerbated by Republican lawmakers, people who ought to know better, not to be a little bit more sober in their assessment of what's happening here. And yet they are on Fox News riling people up on this particular issue. So just to set the record straight, what we're talking about here is actually pretty mundane. There have been years of budget cuts to the IRS. The IRS now has something like 16,000 fewer agents than they had a decade ago. And the idea is that this agency needs more funding to enable it to crack down on high-end tax cheats. There's a lot of auditing that doesn't happen. There's a gap of some $100 billion or so of money that just goes missing in the system. And I assume that sophisticated, educated Republicans are aware of all these issues, and they know what the IRA does and doesn't do, but they absolutely have cynically seized on this particular issue because they understand the salience that it has with the grassroots I mean, it has salience, but it's also something that the Republican Party has campaigned on since the early Tea Party, since like 2005, when Grover Norquist launched Americans for Tax Reform and made every sitting member of Congress sign a document saying, I pledge to not raise taxes. And the moment if you are a Republican and you raise taxes, all of a sudden you got the activist core bearing down on you for breaking a pledge. This anti-tax mentality is so baked into the GOP that if something like the IRA popping up adding more tax officials doesn't necessarily mean that they're raising taxes, but it is easily viewed as an army of taxing enforcers. It's not so much fixing a bureaucratic issue for them as it is creating an army. Republicans, to your point, have always been fixated on taxation and lowering taxes and being against the IRS. What you have here with the IRA that just passed, this is a really landmark, massive bill that has provisions on climate change, on corporate taxation, on lowering prescription drug prices. And it seems very telling to me that of all of the different things in that bill, which was rushed through Congress pretty quickly and signed by Biden last week, the GOP has almost exclusively focused on this one issue of IRS enforcement. I think it's the only one they can really hang their hats on. I remember in the long ago times of four years ago when the Republican Party was still campaigning on repealing Obamacare and then realizing, oh my God, wait, that's actually kind of popular. There's no way that we'll be able to ever repeal it. So we're just going to forget that we ever did it. Climate change legislation isn't like unpopular. I think climate change legislation is not something that's going to rile up a base as much as the IRS coming with their, you know, tax guns to take away your stuff. And Yeah, with Trump, the majority of the party's energy does seem to be focused on 
protecting him from this overwhelming sense that the federal government is out to get them. Climate change legislation doesn't necessarily do that. It just kind of places caps on whatever companies can and can't do. This is an individual freedom type of thing. And Lord help you if you get between someone who wants to protect their individual freedoms and the federal government. Well, Tina, that's why we're shifting to paying all puck employees in Bitcoin and cowrie shells. I want gold. Gold or nothing, then. Thanks, Tina. Always amazing to have your insight. And for anyone who's interested in learning more, they can, of course, find all of your work at puck.news. Thanks again, Ben. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 